Hi, family. Look, man, we finna get into this. Is that all right? I heard Tammy ask if we family. I didn't see the answer, but she is not playing with these lights. We family? So the last time I checked, family never apologized for telling you they love you even when it hurt a little bit. Right? So I would tell you where the apology line is after this, but um, there's, a, there's no line. Uh, who, who gonna be that person by show of hands that does not know who Dr. Steve Perry is? Fair enough. Read this man's bio. You ready? Dr. Steve Perry. I just like saying that. Dr. Steve Perry is a strong advocate of personal and civic responsibility in all aspects of life. YouTube it if you don't believe me. He emphasizes the social issues that aim at building up both the individual and the community so that the next generation can be better contributing members of, of society. It's funny here that she only listed two. So let's, let's just say he was featured on everything. Okay, let me stop. CNN's Black in America series. He's the founder and principal of Capital Preparatory Magnet School, named one of US News and World Report's top schools in the country. Please, family, will you join me in welcoming Dr. Steve Perry to the stage. reception uh, got a brief introduction to Dr. Perry and I can't help but think about this there's a reason there are no wolves in the circus you just there's some people you can't control man so so this is what I'm gonna do I would like for you to just talk a little bit about your passion and then we're gonna get into um, what I know the people in the room are, are interested in hearing your thoughts on right, so I'm gonna stand up and introduce myself yeah. I'm hearing Jay-Z in my, in my head <laughs> Sorry. So, <clears throat> my name is Stephen, and it's Stephen because I guess my mother and father, who was 16 when they had me, didn't realize when they were naming me after Stevie Wonder that his name is actually not Stephen. <laughs> so they stuck with Stephen, but in the Bible, Stephen is a really powerful character. Because what Stephen does, is he recognizes that there are those in power who are saying that church was only for those in power. He was saying that he saw that those people were putting together systems to ensure that individuals could not participate in the word. Now think about the intricacies of that. The word, the word is the way in which we find power and sense itself. It's the way in which we learn not just to read a word, a written word, but we learn about who we are as a people. And so once you give people access to the word, you actually give them access to power. Once you give them access to power, you create a threat to the system. And so those people in charge of the system did not want Stephen to tell them the truth. 
So there's some people in Milwaukee that didn't want Stephen to come and tell y'all the truth. So those people kick rocks. Because I'm going to tell you. But they took it upon themselves to do what they could to silence Stephen. Because they said to him, man, are you for real? Are you really saying that everybody can come into the church? And not, it's not just for the elite. He said, that's what the gospel tells me. And so, at the threat of death, he spoke the truth. And then they stoned him. His truth lived forever. My middle name is David. So people, this ain't my fault. <laughs> this ain't my fault because here's the fact. The fact is that I could not be convinced before we started our first school that black people were uneducated. I could not be convinced that they didn't care about education or that they were stupid. I could not be convinced that the system that was set up in 1635 was broken. It is not broken. It's working perfectly fine. You may remember there were some other things going on in 1635. But the system was designed to ensure that those people, like Stephen said, who are not among the so-called so chosen elite, were not supposed to gain access to the world. And so here in Milwaukee, there are a lot of your kids who can't read the world. And people keep trying to convince you that it's your fault. And if you would just give them more money, if you were just in poverty, if you would get rid of charters, if you would get rid of vouchers, if you just send them all back to these schools where those people pay union dues. Oh, y'all thought I was going to wait on that one? <laughs> Stephen David. So too many of your children don't know the word. Not because there's something wrong with you or because there's something wrong with them, because the system that they're currently being miseducated in was designed not to educate them. And so tonight, we're going to snatch the Band-Aid off, the scab, and everything else. Because I believe that you deserve to be free. Some of y'all say, but I live in the suburbs. Fantastic. They're awesome. I drive a nice car. Even better. But the data says something different. The data is pretty clear that there's a significant achievement gap among African American children in this community. That even the middle class children are being beaten by poor white children. And so if you're comfortable with that, this is going to be uncomfortable for the rest of the evening. If you're uncomfortable with that, we're going to have a ball. So I'm returning to my seat, and we're going to have a conversation, because I know y'all going to give it up for Athena Communications one more time. <laughs> Because 
Sister Tammy wrote down some questions that we better ask and answer, otherwise she's gonna be plenty pissed. We gonna pretend like I'm reading the questions off this piece of awesome. paper. Awesome. You the one she's gonna be mad at, bro. <laughs> let, me, let me jump into this one. You got a 100% success rate of your students graduating. So, so maybe the competitor in all of us thinking you ain't better than us. So what you doing? So the cool thing is that I'm so regular, it's embarrassing. But the difference is that we start out by believing that every single one of our children can do. And so what happens, let me show you how deep racism is. Let me just, let me just take you on a, on a journey into the bowels of the American consciousness. Racism is so deeply embedded in the subconsciousness of Americans of all races that when we say that we have sent 100% of our graduates on to four-year colleges and the overwhelmingly African-American, Latino, and poor, instead of celebrating that, people say we cheated. You somehow found the only black, Latino, and poor kids in a city that at the time was only graduating 29% of its students who could go to college. As if through some magical, nefarious process, we were able to unearth the only kids in the entire community who could go to college. All we did and do, all we didn't do is we humbled ourselves and we went to visit successful schools sat down in a school in Wellesley, Massachusetts called Dana Hall, which is a private prep school um, for mainly white girls. He said, well, why would you, somebody who has spent so much of his time working with African-American males, go to that school? Because they paid a lot of money to go to that school. So I figured if they paid that much, it must be something worth seeing. <laughs> so I went and looked there, and then I went to Upward Bound programs that, I had gone through, and I studied as many programs and schools as I could get into. And what I found was that those schools and programs that are successful, whether they be charter, magnet, um, traditional, part-time out-of-school programs, they're all designed exactly the same way. They all begin with the expectation that you will go to college. I mean, it's not only to talk about it. It's not even something that is discussed or negotiated. Catholic schools that are, that are successful, whatever kind of school it is, once you enter the school, it has been determined. It is written that you're gone. So the expectation is that every single class and every single instructor is put in place with the expectation that they are preparing you for college, period. Nobody says to the kid, hey man, what do you think about college? It doesn't even come up. Doesn't even come up. Then there's an overall environment of high expectations that's supported by Simple things like greeting children at the door, being polite to parents, engaging them in the overall expectations of education of their children. In addition to that, 
what I saw was I saw in some unsuccessful schools a couple things. One thing that they do is they have um, remedial classes, and they have what they call college prep classes, and they have something like AP or seminar classes. And if you go to those schools, even the integrated schools, you can find the highest classes by virtue of the fact that you look at the color of the children. The darker the children, the lower the classes. And you could ask, how is that so? And they'll come up with some cockamamie excuse as to why it is and what happened and who passed what test. And this is actually not true. It's actually not true. In most cases, the reason why certain children are put in advanced placement classes is because somebody just put them there. Because somebody advocated said you need to be in this class. Similarly, the reason why some kids are, put in, are pulled out of those classes and put in the lower classes for the same exact reason. It's just that unfortunately, the people who are being pulled out are typically black and male. So we didn't do that. Then what we did was we extended the school year and school day because we saw that the research was pretty clear. If you have children who start very far behind and you give them the exact same number of days and the exact same number of hours, then at best, they're going to stay exactly as far behind as they have been all along. So all we did was extend the day, extend the year, and here's the final part. We opened a school for kids, not for grown people. And so what that means is, I am not here to make your job more comfortable. I am here to make sure we take children from historically disadvantaged populations with unearned disadvantages. All they did was wake up in the wrong neighborhood. That's all they did. I mean, that's a horrible thing in the United States of America when that's your greatest crime, just waking up. So I'm not, as my grandma say, fitting to I'm not fixing to, to try and worry about somebody with a master's degree living in the suburbs, making a good living, whether or not she, he, they are comfortable. That's not my, that's not my cause. My cause is to make sure we bust our behinds and get this little brother, this little sister, to be colleagues and neighbors, not just students, those kids. See, the expectation all along is, was that the kids that we were educating would essentially be our neighbors, our colleagues, and help us raise our kids. And so the, the, the story is not in the fact that 100% of our graduates go on to four-year colleges, 96% of them enroll by the fall, 84% um, makes it a sophomore year, 70% graduate in four years. That's black people putting up white suburban numbers. I'm not saying that. That's cool, but that is not the story. The story is that when we opened our second school in Bridgeport, Connecticut, a city in which 96% of the students are performing below grade level in math, 96%. You couldn't have spot on the wall 96% of the time unless you really tried. 96%. The first person I hired was one of those young people who we sent to college, who graduated from Morehouse in three and a half years, came back to teach math for us. He's my neighbor, and he's my son's idol. See, the problem is, too few of us who are in education are looking at the end game. We're looking at our own issues, how tough our day is, and how hard it is, and the mean thing the little nine-year-old said to you. So what, he said you gained weight. You know you did. <laughs>
know that perfume doesn't smell good. But you knew that when you put it on, you had questions about it. So the reason why I heard so much is because little funky 13-year-old girl who's mean as hell, because 13-year-old girls just mean. They just, they just built that way. She looked at you like, mm, I don't know why you wore that. It hurt your feelings. Because she meant it to, but she is a child. See, what we ultimately done is we don't look at our kids as who they are today. That's the problem. Folks are caught up. They get caught up in the kids. Don't think for a second that I don't get these crazy calls from these parents talking about they're going to fight me. First of all, you don't know I can fight. <laughs> don't let this boy talk fool you. I will bust your ass and feel good about it. That's not going to happen, sis. But, but, I need you to also understand that one of the main reasons why is because so many of the people who are in the education game are too caught up in the grass, in the stands. They're not paying attention to the game itself. They're not looking at the way this thing's supposed to end. You're not educating a 16-year-old who thinks he knows everything. You're not educating him. You're educating your neighbor. You're educating the person who's going to take care of your grandmother at the, at the nursing home. That's who you're educating. And until such time as you see them as that person, you will treat them as if they are not fully a person. So the system's the same. The system's the same everywhere. If you look at the success, you have some, some, some successful schools here in town. They run exactly the same as we are. I mean, they don't do anything different. They have advisory. They have all the same things that we have. Same list school year. They say everybody, everything is the same. It's the same. So I heard our brother Kalen mention the word autopsy. And it, it drew me back to my healthcare days. So a lot of people end up needing an autopsy for something that happened a long time ago. They were sick. And then they self-diagnosed. And then they self-treated. And it wasn't right. They waited too late. If I look at our education system here, I think we beyond sick, and we self-diagnosing, and we are self-medicating. I'm thinking about tomorrow when we all wake up, Dr. Perry, Doc, help us diagnose something we can think about. So you, you travel the country, you travel the globe, and you look at educational systems everywhere, and we've got a body of people here who love one another, but we're sick. And I'll debate that with people who disagree. We are sick here and we listen to talk radio and everything, and we self-diagnosing and we self-treating, we're going to end up needing an autopsy in our educational system. So just help us out tomorrow. What, what, what's the diagnosis and then something we can start to treat? So one of the things that is worth noting, you have, as one of your neighbors, one of the most important voices in a generation in education in Dr. Howard Fuller. He is the oracle. He's that dude. And he's the one that all of us come to, all over the country. Somebody's mad at me today because I can't get Fuller to come to something that they're doing. I said, but I'm going to be there. They're like, yeah. <laughs> Whatever. So, so Dr. Fuller is um, the person who many of us look to. and and. I want to make sure I make this point. 
you are in many ways better positioned than many school systems in the United States of America. Your at least attempt to do vouchers is huge. The openness that you have to ideas of choice is essential. The challenge is the vouchers are insufficient in that they do not provide enough. They don't provide parity. So if it's, say, $12,000 for the traditional school and you only get, let's say, $6,000 for the, for the school voucher, that's not fair. So if you want the same experience for all children, you have to give them access to the same resources, at least from that perspective. You can't have somebody halving it. That's not cool. But I actually believe that the DNA is here for profound success. One of the things that I learned, because um, I've been to Milwaukee a number of times, and that I've learned through uh, Dr. Fuller, is that there are pockets of power within Milwaukee, but for some reason, y'all can't seem to figure it out. Right, so I never heard of three chambers of commerce. That's a lot. Maybe all three are doing something completely different. But it becomes indic indicative of a mindset that it's best that I go off and do a little bit of it myself than to do all of it together. And so your school system is being maintained because the teachers union have a, a green lights and flat streets. And it's the reason why when I come, they start calling the theater, call everybody. Don't let him talk. <laughs> Don't let it happen. See, because they recognize if you bring me, I'm coming 100. And because I'm coming 100, they recognize that, wait a minute, maybe black folks are waking up. They bring this brother in, they mean business. They might even mean fitness. <laughs> and as such, maybe they're starting to pull together their resources and recognize that divided is how they've been hurt. That they don't have to like each other to work together, they just gotta decide to work together. <laughs> asking y'all to be friends. Some of you ain't been friends since the sixth grade. Get over it, man. But it's, but it's embarrassing, to be honest with you, to see a community with such richness and power just getting stomped by outside suburban organization. Literally playing, y'all. Got y'all thinking, you know, yeah, yeah, send your kids back here. Don't worry. No, worry. Be very, very afraid. Ask them, where's your kids go to school? Oh, no, man. Never do that. No, no, no. And they can tell you all the schools they send their kids to, none of which are the ones you send your kids to. 
And so the issue is not the system is doing what it was designed to do. It was designed in 1635 to do what it's doing in 2016. But you knew that. You knew that. So it's not so much the system itself. The system is fine. The system is what it's supposed to be. The problem is that the African-American community in particular, I want you to understand, I'm talking to black people. The black community in particular has not decided that it has had enough. And enough of y'all have gotten what you feel to be enough. You got that black job at the corporation, you know, like diversity, <laughs> relations, procurement. Or you got the black job on campus, director of student services, head of housing, all the things that won't take you to the top of the organization. Not one of them. Ain't nobody ever said, no, I'm the CEO because I was in charge of diversity. <laughs> But they give you a dope title like vice president. They even invite you to certain meetings. And you feel like you're somebody. They send you out to every Freedom Fund dinner they have. Look, I'm not playing with y'all tonight because you know the truth and I know the truth. Why we gonna sit there like we don't know the truth? You sit in an organization where you don't have power. The reason why I'm celebrating Athena tonight, she has power. <laughs> See, part of the problem, this is, it, it may, it, I'm telling you, this is the real answer. The real answer is some of us get invited to the middle class, live above the middle class, and become beholden to that gig, so we gotta keep our damn mouths shut. We can't really speak the truth. <laughs> we say we own our house, you don't own that. In 27 more years, you might own it. <laughs> if you keep your mouth shut on this job. And so they don't have to respect you. Why? Why do they have to respect you? It's their game. You're playing it. They don't have to. And it's not just something inherently bad for working with other people, but understand what it is. That one of the biggest problems and one of the reasons why the school system can underserve our children without fail, just bam, just keep doing it like it's supposed to be done that way. One of the reasons why they can do it is because so, so many of us are caught up in the middle class malaise that we overspend and as a result, we become beholden to a system. So you can't, at least in your mind, speak up for fear that if you lose that job, you lose that status. And if enough of us are given status, and it's only a couple, let somebody be the vice chair of the Democratic Town Committee. Can't tell them nothing. I'm general in the Salvation Army. I'm in charge of all this, all this right here. But Malcolm, what could you actually make these people do? I sent her over, she made copies for me. I half joke, right? Because the fact is this. The school system will not respond to the needs of African Americans in particular until African Americans are in a position of power, which you can say, cut it out. Stop suspending and expelling our boys at almost four times the rate of everybody else. Yeah. 
It's not cool that the only kids who don't get suspended are white girls. That's not okay. That equity is just that. It is to be equal. I'm tired of the diversity conversation. Diversity means what they did with the Democratic National Convention. They had a whole bunch of different colored people stand up there and say the same damn thing. And they told them that's diversity. I don't want diversity. I want equity. I want an equal share. I want to speak my mind because that's my mind, not the one that you feel comfortable with. I don't have to apologize for feeling like I feel. I was doing a, a radio interview with NPR one time, and, and, and the host who was white said to me, why are you so angry? I said, why are you not angry? How could you see what I see and not be mad? I'm tired of coming to places like Milwaukee. I'm tired of coming to places like Newark and Hartford and Bridgeport and New Haven. I'm tired of coming to places and seeing black people catching hell. While a couple of us got big churches, big cars. Y'all didn't think I was going to leave it out, did you? Come on, man. You brought me. Stephen David. The point is that until we exercise power, we will consistently be put at the children's table. <laughs> Meaning that until your voice means something, until you're in a position to change other people's fortunes, you will not be treated as such. We see it on whether it's college campuses, you know, how many times about those of us who are Conscious on college campuses, try to get the brothers who are playing sports. Like, come on, man. Come to this event I'm having tonight. Nah, nah, nah. Coach said we got it. Really? Master said what? I'm sorry. <laughs> Look, enough is enough, man. We got to accept that at some point we have to be honest. And if we want our children to stand up bold and proud, we have to do it first. We have to do it first. Which means maybe you don't live in as nice a neighborhood. Which means maybe you don't drive a nicer car. You do some sacrifices up front so that you can have your voice for the rest of your life. <laughs> so the issue is not the school system because it's running the way it's supposed to. It's us. It's us. Go visit so many people who are wealthy. And you will see they drive modest cars. Kids dress modestly. I took my sons out to get sneakers yesterday. I was like, damn, is that much sneakers cost? I think we went to the wrong store, son. These got three digits on them. What did these sneakers do? These ain't even the ones that light up. The fact is that we as a community have to recognize that in order to be in a position of power, we have to maintain control of our own resources, which means that we have to be in a position to decide to leave a job when the job ain't doing what it's supposed to do. I'll finish the answer here. When I was, I, people don't realize that the first school we opened, I worked for Hartford Public Schools. We had seven unions in there. I was in one of them. I had to be because I worked in a union. Uh, districts or states, so you just had to be. So they took, over the course of 10 years, almost $20,000 out of my salary just so they could talk mess about me. Go figure. So much for First Amendment. So I got a call one day from somebody down in central office. They had some brother call me because that's how they would do it. <laughs> <laughs> I love us. 
So they have some brother call me. He would talk like brothers do. Hey, Doc. What? <laughs> Doc, man, we heard you said, well, I don't know what he said. I said it that time. I probably said it. He said, I, I heard you said whatever. And the superintendent wanted me to give you a call. Why didn't she call me? Well, she thought, you know, I could talk to you. She's wrong. So I said, do you know what you should do? You should fire me. And he didn't say anything. I said, no, for real. All I am is somebody's open one of the most, uh, one of the highest performing schools in the United States of America. You should fire me. He said, well, Doc, you know we ain't going to do that. I said, get off my damn phone. My house is paid for, for real. <laughs> I don't owe anybody a dime. Because I live modestly. Not because I'm wealthy, because I live modestly. And as a result, I can say whatever the hell I want to say. And you can stone me all you want, but the internet's going to make me live forever. 